want to know how she's doing, and we want to know how to pray for her because we want to partner with uh, people like Team International Art who are pouring their lives out for the nation of Thailand and seeing those people come to Jesus. So, and we want people to come to Jesus here too. So, Art, tell us. Tell us what's going on. Tell us what God is doing and what okay. your plans are. So, um, I have a good news for you today. Because <laughs> as Jen said, you know, on the worship that she said about, okay, Lord, use us. So, you can be used today. <laughs> um, I have a favor for you guys to do for me. Because... First of all, I want to thank you, you, and thank you, new community, to pray for me the last time for about my physical health. Mm. It's much better now, but please continue to pray about that, especially my stomach. Yeah, I have a problem with my stomach. And it's affected my heart, my physical heart, but it's okay right now. And um, so I, most of you know that I left from the team international already. And I took a rest with God for a while, and I asked God, okay, what is the next step in my life that I, I wanted to do and, and God wants me to do? And so I had a connection, really good connection with the church in northeastern Thailand. Uh, the church is called Payak Church. And um, I prayed with them for a few months. Uh, if I can be, if I can move to live with them and even that serve the Lord under that church. And so God told me clearly, he confirmed me in many ways uh, about sign. When we asked for the sign and wonder, he showed me through that. And even that he said to me that, okay, leave your people in your country and go to the land I will show you, as he said to Abraham. And... I, it's, it's in my heart, and I know that, okay, God wants me to, to be there. But because every time that I went to this church, it's, they're really faithful in the Lord, and they just have so much power in God. Yeah. They pray every 5 a.m. every morning. They pray together for ten, at least 10 to 20 people, and they have the overnight prayer together. It's to every, every two weeks. And every time that I go there, I have so mature and see the next step in my life and got that anointing from God. I think this is a good opportunity for me to go there. Mm-hmm. And um, so I will be as a tent maker to teach English with the, uh, at the schools and with the kids. They have an English center. Good. And so I will be a part of that. And also, I can serve the Lord under the church because I ask God that, okay, what is the gift that God gave it to me? And I know that in my country, the, this, the gift that I have that God gave it to me is English. And so I want to go to the rural area and, and equip the people who don't know English. And it's going to be the open door for me to share the gospel, Amen. to make a relationship okay. Uh, not just only with the students, but with the teachers and, and uh, the parents also. So, and I, I want to give you a little bit of background about uh, Northeastern so you will know how to pray. Um, because in Northeastern Thailand, so when you compare, okay, you know that Thailand have uh, a lot of idols and they will ship Many idols, but in Northeastern is the most. Mm-hmm. Yes. And because they, even, you know, they ask uh, for the rain to come. They will have some ceremony. It's called Bun Bang Fai in Thai. And, and they will use the black cat to sacrifice for that and ask the, uh, the rain to come. That kind of thing. They just worship a lot of idols. And because of, in the Bible said about uh, um, idolatry linked with sexual immorality. So this, this place is the place that when we, when we went to Pattaya and we see the, the ladies, you know, in the bars, most of them, I can say 80% to yep. 90% of the women in the bars 
came from this area. Yeah, I remember, yeah. And so, and even, you know, I went there many times, and I had an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Some people said that, okay, we, we heard about God already, but they, di they didn't understand about the gospel. In the Bible, it said that you need to understand the gospel. Mm -hmm. But they heard about, okay, Jesus rise from the dead and wash our sin or karma, but they didn't understand about the gospel because they worshiping idols. And the, the spiritual, especially in, you know, in the scripture said about the Ephesians, it Ephesus city, so they worship a lot of idols, and so it's blind their eyes, and, and it's and close their ears to hear uh, the power of God yeah. also. Yeah. So I would like to ask you all to pray. I have the list of prayer. It's, uh, number one is about the protection. So pray for the church. Uh, especially the pastor and his wife, and pray for me for protection about my health or any enemies that to try to attack us, you know, yeah. when we, when we do the ministry there. And so number two is uh, God's favor and God's grace Amen. because we can do offering through his grace. And, and I pray that, uh, I keep praying that God will use me, and I will, he will give the favor for me through the church and the people who don't know God, yeah. that I can yeah. make the connection with them. Yeah. And also that I, I ask God that forgive me the wisdom and the knowledge. It's because the word of God is powerful. And so I ask for his wisdom and knowledge, yeah. the word of wisdom and knowledge for yeah. that. So... Yeah, this is, this is what I, I would like to ask you to, to pray for. And because most of you, I have the list of emails of most of you already. I, and I always send, um, not always for yeah. this period of time, uh, send the newsletter. So if you want to be a part of my prayer team support, you know, just give me the email and the name. So I can send yeah. you the newsletter and the prayer request. Good, good. Yeah, just come and talk to Art at the end. She'll be in the back, and you can give her your email if you'd like to keep praying. Let's pray right now, all right? Let's pray with me, okay? Uh, just agree with me. So, Father, we thank you for this powerful outpouring of your spirit in, at this church in the Northeast. We ask you, Lord, that you would increase uh, their, that glory and give them favor. But we ask for your blessing, your provision, your protection upon art specifically. And we ask you to give her favor, open doors, open hearts for her to get into villages, get into families, lead them to Jesus and plant churches. Lord, we ask that you would uh, uh, just raise up many laborers out of this church and cause art to disciple many. Lord, bless her, Lord. We thank you that you will provide. And Lord, we ask that you would open the eyes of people that don't know you, that you would break off this idolatry, this sexual morality. We ask for these girls and the, and the boys that they would be educated. We ask raise up people who would educate them. We ask for economy, jobs to flood this area, that they would not go to the south for, 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 and get caught in the sex trade. Lord, we ask that you'd bless this land, that you would send the rain, that you would restore and heal the land, and that you would bring blessing to the people as they repent and turn to you, Lord. We thank you that you've promised this lord and so we ask for their salvation in jesus name amen amen thank you art right well good keep praying like that <laughs> turn with me to matthew 24 the book of matthew 24 the first gospel in the new testament chapter 24 and we're continuing to see the world and our life and everything from a god's eye view we're seeing things from a kingdom perspective. We need to see the world the way God sees the world. We need to see our life the way God sees the world. And what we've been learning lately is that Jesus is the king of his kingdom, that he is the Lord of all, and he is the leader of his church. Amen? And he's building his church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail. We're seeing that his that right now, the kingdom is here and now on the earth. When Jesus came, he ministered, he died, he rose again, he brought the kingdom, and he poured out his spirit. And yet the kingdom is not here in full. The kingdom is here, his kingdom has come, his plan of redemption is moving on the earth, but it's not here in full. We're waiting a time 
when he will return to earth and he will complete his plan of redemption and he'll bring his kingdom in full. But right now, what time are we living in? We're living in the time between the cross and his resurrection, his first coming, and his second coming when the kingdom is on the earth and increasing. The Bible says his glory will fill the earth like the oceans fill the sea, and that glory is increasing. In fact, I told you stories the last two weeks of revival history. I went very fast through 2,000 years of church history to show you that the glory of God is increasing on the earth, that there is more glory, more of his kingdom operating on the earth now than there was 2,000 years ago. Why? Because there are more people who have bowed the knee to Jesus' lordship. He, God's absolutely sovereign, but his kingdom is only present on earth where his will is done through submitted, surrendered people. And so, we are seeing that this is what human history is all about. We're seeing that what this life is all about, God is the sovereign God, he is the Lord of human history, and everything is coming to a point where Jesus will return. Everything is going, headed to a place where he will return, and God sees the beginning from the end. He is eternal, amen? He's always existed, and he will always exist. And everything is headed towards where he is leading. Where, I mean, he, he is leading everything to a point where he will reign on the earth, and he'll restore all things, and his kingdom will come in full. And what we've been learning is that if Jesus is leading the church, and he's building his church, and if his kingdom is increasing, and he has told us the mission and vision statement of his family business, if he's the leader and he's told us his mission and vision statement of his kingdom. Matthew 28, right? Make disciples of all nations. The mission, make disciples. The vision or the scope, all nations. So we know our assignment. We know our marching orders, don't we? And the Lord has been calling us to seek first his kingdom. That if we're not about what he's about, and if we're not partnering with him, we've made it very clear Jesus basically says, you're wasting your life. What does it gain a man? He gains the whole world but loses his life. He says, if you want to find life, you lose it for my sake and for the gospel. He says, if you do that, you will find your life. And so Jesus makes it very clear that we need to seek first the kingdom. That's not some ambiguous thing, is it? That's not ambiguous. Oh, well, what is that? Seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness. What, what is that? We know exactly what that is. It's what we've been talking about. Seeking to know him, to become like him, to partner with him, to see his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is what we're all about. And what the Lord wants to give us today is an eternal perspective. Again, he wants us to see from his perspective, his kingdom perspective, but specifically he wants us to see how he sees the world, and how he sees our life. <clears throat> in fact, before we get into Matthew 24, we're going to start in verse 45. Can you put up that declaration, uh, Katie? Can you take your Bibles with me? And let's open our hearts to hear the Word of God. I want you to, what we do is we just repeat, or I mean, we'll just say this all together as we align our hearts to receive what God has to say. So let's declare this. This is my Bible. It is God speaking to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do, and I can have what it says I can have. So I open my heart today to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. Amen. Lord, I ask that your spirit would be poured out on us, that you would baptize us with your fire, that you would release that revelation of who you are and what you're calling us to, Lord. So, Lord, we open our hearts, like we just said, that you would speak profoundly to us. Amen. Amen. You ever, uh, you ever hear of, a, a, you know, you ever see a movie where the teenagers are partying and uh, the parents come home before they realized it? I mean, we all see movies like that. Oh, no. Right? You ever heard about somebody who was, uh, you know, maybe a security guard sleeping on the job and robbed, right? Bad idea. You ever hear of a manager, you know, managing something for an owner and just not taking care of it? Maybe an apartment complex or a business and not managing it well, and the owner comes in to take account of the finances or to observe the grounds and says, hey, something's lacking here, right? Jesus was able to take real-life stories, right? 
take things like that, everyday, ordinary stories that we hear about even today. Back in, back in his day, people would have these experiences. Many people in Jesus' day did not own their own businesses. Many people were either uh, uh, literally owned by other people, they were servants of other people, or they just worked on someone else's land as a tenant farmer. Most of the people who heard Jesus' stories understood what it meant to be owned by somebody or to work for somebody else and to steward someone else's things and understood just real life stuff. And so Jesus would take from real life things, from agricultural metaphors, from business metaphors, and he would talk about the realities of the kingdom in these stories. And of course, he's amazing because he could just deposit such profound truth in these stories. And in Matthew 24, starting in verse 45, Jesus tells a story of just that. To give us an eternal perspective, a kingdom perspective, he would always tell these stories to help us understand these kingdom truths. And it says it right here, starting in verse 45. Here's the story. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over all his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Surely I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. Verse 48, but, but if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is telling a story of a servant who has been given authority over an owner's household. He's a servant, but he's been given an authority to rule over the other servants to provide for their food. All the servants are serving the master. This servant has been given a specific assignment to take care of the other servants, you know, basically make sure they eat well so that they can serve the master in their own particular assignment. And you'll notice some key kingdom truths that Jesus is hitting right here in this story. I love it. He just kind of tells the story and we see exactly what the kingdom is like from this eternal perspective. Number one, you notice that Jesus is the master. He's the owner. We all belong to him, amen? He is the owner of our life. See, when you made Jesus the Lord of your life, when you said, yes, Jesus, yes, Lord, I need your forgiveness. I accept you as my Savior. The Bible says that you are saved, you receive eternal life, all your sins are forgiven, when you confess one thing. When you believe in your heart, the Bible says in Romans 7, when you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, and when you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. The word Lord simply means owner, master, leader. So when you accepted Jesus, you made him the Lord, the owner, the master of your life. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you've been bought with the price and you no longer belong yourself. You've been bought with the blood of Jesus. He has ransomed you from sin. He has redeemed you from hell. He has bought you from the enemy and you belong to him now. If you've accepted Jesus, He is your owner and your master. And we see that here in this parable, that all of these servants belong to this master. And all of these servants, and specifically this one who is given authority over them, all of them have been given an assignment, something to do for this master. Another thing that Jesus, another kingdom truth that he always brings out in these stories, is that this master goes away. He'll often say in these parables, no, not in this parable, that the master went away for a long time. And that's another kingdom truth that Jesus was always trying to get to communicate. That the king has come, he's bought us with his blood, but like I said earlier, he's going to return. And Jesus was always communicating something. I'm your master, and one day I will return. I'm coming back. And here's the main point of the parable. That because he's the owner, the master, and you're the servant, And because he is coming back, the key point is that we will be held accountable 
for our actions. That one day when he comes back, he will both reward and judge. That is the eternal reality that the Lord wants us to look, see our life in light of that. That one day he is returning. He will reign on this earth and Jesus will judge and he will reward. And we need to see our life always from that eternal perspective. Always seeing our life in light of that day that he returns. The Bible makes it very clear. Like in John chapter 14, Jesus promised. He says, I will come again. Remember he said in John 14, he says, hey, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And he says, and I will come again. Why? In John 14, he says, because I want you to be with me. I want you to be where I'm at. See, why did he create you? Because he loves you. Why did he die for you? Why would he purchase you with his blood? Because he loves you. And why is he coming again? Because he loves us. Because he wants to fulfill his promise to us that he would rescue and redeem us and restore all things and make things right. Even though we're the ones who sinned, we're the ones who messed up this world, and yet he promised to restore. And he wants to do it because he wants to be with us. We were created for that relationship, amen? You can, you can turn with me to this if you'd like, but in 2 Corinthians 5, li- listen to 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to go back to uh, Matthew 24 here, but listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 9, listen to this. Therefore, we make it our aim, our goal, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him, to Jesus. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what He has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. conscience. So the Apostle Paul tells us that we live to please the Lord and we live to persuade men. What does he mean? To convince them that Jesus is Lord and the Savior and that they need Him. We live to make disciples and to partner with Jesus in the work of, in His work. We partner with the Lord to seek Him, to know Him, to become like Him, to be pleasing with Him and to do His will and to see people come to know Him. Our whole life is given to this aim, to this goal. Why? He says in verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says we live in light of that reality that you and I will stand before Jesus and give an account for what we have done for the works that we have done. This is what Jesus is telling this story about in Matthew 24. He's describing a servant who is owned by a master. He's describing a master who's going to return and a master who's going to reward or judge based upon the faithfulness or the unfaithfulness of that servant. You ever, you ever watch a mystery movie and you're totally into it, but you're not exactly, you know, it's one of those suspense movies, mystery movies, and you're not exactly sure how everything's going to turn out, but you're gripped? What happens when you get to the end of the movie? You ever, you ever watch like a really good movie, especially one of those mystery or suspense ones? This, I know I do this at least. You get to the end and, and, it, and you know, you get to that climax, or I mean, the, the resolution, and you go, oh, I get it, Right? Oh. And do you ever like, you know, I, I know for me if it's like in the movie theater or something or, or if it was at our house and I, you know, maybe it's late at night so we'll go to bed, my brain starts going. So you start thinking. And you start thinking about the whole thing, don't you? I don't know about you, anyone? You think about the whole movie, you start thinking about the beginning and the middle. Oh, that's why they did that. Or you watch it a second time, you know, maybe later. Oh, that was so good. That really gripped me. So you go and you watch the movie again. And you think to yourself, as you watch, you go, I didn't notice that. Oh, that's why he said that. Because a good, a good storyteller, especially a good mystery movie, is going to give you clues called foreshadowing, right? A good storyteller always foreshadows. 
But, but you never really know, you never really put everything together unless you see it from the end, right? This is why God in the Bible tells us the end of the story. We know how everything's going to happen. We don't know everything, but we know, don't we? We know that this world will pass away and he'll make a new heaven and a new earth, a new earth with a new heaven. We know that he is coming and he will reign over every nation. We know that he, we will be, have to stand at an account to him. We know the end. And what we need is to have that ah, that aha, oh, that moment, we need to have that now. We need to see our life from that eternal perspective. See, God is eternal. Can you imagine this string going forever in that direction? Can you imagine this string going forever in the other direction, right? God is eternal, no beginning or end. Can you imagine that? Just imagine that string, just keep going. Don't worry about the world being round and all that. Just imagine it just going in both directions forever. I don't know, when did creation happen? We could just say, you know, God created the world, you know, six days, Adam and Eve, walking with God in the glory of Eden, and, uh, and, then, and then they sinned, right? And for thousands of years, God has been working out a plan of redemption, hasn't he? I don't know how long we should go, you know, thousands of years working out this plan of redemption, calling Abraham and calling these people. And I don't know, where, where's the cross? You know, over here, Jesus comes. The kingdom of God breaks in at some point on this, on this timeline. He breaks in. For 30 years, he lives on the earth, right? 33 years. He ministers for only three years. And he plants that seed of redemption. He dies and rises from the grave. He ascends and he's seated at the Father's right hand. He's right now alive, ruling the Father's right hand. He's poured out His Spirit. The kingdom has come. So for now, maybe a couple more for 2,000 years, we've been waiting until all the nations come to know Him. How close are we? Closer than ever before. Billions of people on the earth. I don't know if every tribe has heard the gospel yet, but it's pretty close. And then one day, He's going to come back very soon. It could be any moment, right? It's the reality See, a servant doesn't know when his master's going to come back, especially, especially, when, especially in the ancient world. There's no telephones, there's no text messaging, and there's no itineraries. There's no, like, book your ticket. You find the next ship. You miss the ship, and it turns winter. You got to wait. You got to just stay at that city until you get to the, to, the, to the spring. There's no telling when the master's going to come back. Even today, that's why I made that joke about teenagers. They're partying. They think their parents aren't coming back. Boom, the parents come back. Of course, they get in trouble. Who knows when the master's going to come back? Any moment. Any moment. But we need to see our life in this perspective. This is why I keep saying it's not about us. I don't mean in any way that God doesn't love us or he didn't save us or create it all for us. What I mean is he's been around forever. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit perfectly loving one another for all eternity. They didn't need us, but Father, Son, Holy Spirit, perfect love. They decided, they chose to create us out of love because they want a relationship with us. And then for all eternity, for all eternity, you are going to reign with Jesus if you are faithful to the end. If you bow the knee to Jesus and make him the Lord, the master, the owner of your life, all your sin is forgiven, you're right with God, and you endure to the end, and you will enter into eternity, and he will reward you very well. If you put his Agenda and priorities first. He said, I'm going to hook you up. Now, there's blessing in this life. Praise God. He says, I mean, you lay down your life. You seek first the kingdom. All these things shall be added unto you. He, he promises blessing. But I love this in, um, in, Ma- in uh, the Matthew, 45, uh, Matthew 24, 45 and 46. He says, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Blessed. This is not a metaphor. When he says, assuredly I say to you, he will make him ruler over all his goods. You cannot imagine, I mean we can a little bit, you cannot imagine the immense blessing that God will pour out on you. Just the fact 
that you will experience the glory of God completely uninterrupted, intimate communion with the Lord. One time my, my son, when he was only like two or three, asked me, like, what's heaven look like? He said, I don't really know. I have a little bit better idea now. I've been studying it a lot. He asked me a question. I got to go find out, right? I said, I, you know, I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I'll tell you one thing I know. This is how I answered him. I said, I'll give you one word. Joy. What does he say to the faithful servant? He says it in the next parable over, if you want to look. Matthew 24, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. You will live constantly in the favor and delight of God and uninterrupted intimacy. You will have God himself serve you. We'll, he'll throw a big wedding feast and he will honor. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. The Bible says he will literally serve you. I, don't, I mean, I just mean like he'll, in that way, a blessing. Just like he washed the feet of the disciples. He will serve you. And for all eternity, you will be in the presence of God. And you will have blessing like you, don't know, like you could never imagine. The Bible describes uh, his kingdom on earth as there will be no fear, there will be no pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no death. You'll have no worry. There will be no lack. When you get to heaven and all, of, all the provision that you've ever needed or wanted, all that blessing there. The Bible says you'll sit under your own vine tree and fig tree, enjoying fruit of your own labor. All that he has destined for you. The Bible says he has prepared us for this very thing. He is literally preparing a place for us that we get to reign with him. And do you realize then that your life right now is probably too thick. Just a little blip on the screen, isn't it? This is your earthly life. Just one little line on this huge string. Right now, He has given you an assignment. Right now, you can't see Him. Sometimes you don't feel Him. He feels like a million miles away. Sometimes you struggle with anxiety because you don't know if God's going to come through for you or not. Sometimes we're worried about what other people think of us. Sometimes we grumble and complain because life is hard. Sometimes we don't feel appreciated. Nobody sees. Sometimes we entertain sin because we don't think we'll be held accountable. Sometimes life becomes so tough that we just fold to the temptations of this world. Sometimes we grow weary of doing good. We get distracted by other things, don't we? By money or by busyness by possessions, and we forget why we're here. Do you realize you have a very short time on this earth to be faithful? You have been given an assignment from the Lord. And your whole life, listen, our whole life is living for that day when we hear those words, well done, good, faithful servant. A Christ follower, one who is genuinely born again, lives for that day. Always in light of that day. You know, I'm going to turn 34 in July. Some people say, oh, that's young. You know what I think? I'm going to blink my eyes and my four-year-old daughter is going to be 18. I'm going to blink my eyes again and I'm going to be in my 50s. I'm going to blink my eyes again and I'm going to be in my 70s. Those of you who are older, you know what I'm talking about. You go, my goodness, where did the, the time go? You know, seriously, I have a six-year-old. What happened? Right? Those of you who are older, you're going to say, I've got grandkids. What happened? You have one shot at this. We're here for one reason. If God just wanted you to be happy, He would take you to heaven right now. Individual raptures when we get born again. That'd be nice, right? He doesn't do that, maybe for Enoch, but He doesn't do that. You want to know why? Because you're here for one reason, to represent Jesus. You're here for one reason, to make disciples. 
You're learning to become like Him on this earth and to partner with Him. So no matter what you're going through, puts it in perspective, doesn't it? See, because when He returns, very soon, you will live eternity with Him in the joy and the delight of the Lord, in the blessing of the Lord. And did you know, did you see how that servant, if the servant is faithful in the little, they'll be faithful in much? We always say that for earthly principles. But you know, if you're faithful in the little, the little's here on earth. You'll be faithful in the much, which is eternal. You know, you're preparing for your eternal calling. Do you ever think about that with your marriage? You're preparing for your eternal calling. You're becoming like Jesus. Do you ever think about that with your ministry or your job or your life? No matter what you're doing, whether big or small, you are preparing for your eternal calling. You say, oh, but I'm just a one-talent Christian. That person's a ten-talent. That's not the point. It's not a matter whether you're one talent or two talents or ten talents. It's whether you're a 30, 60, or 100-fold. It's whether you produce fruit. And you will be held accountable for that. See, the reality is that he knows everything, doesn't he? And he knows your heart. Hebrews 4 says he searches your heart and nothing is hidden from his sight. He knows your heart. He knows why you do what you do. He knows your motives. He knows your thoughts. He knows your excuses. He knows. And when you stand before him, everything that was hidden will be made plain, won't it? None of those excuses will matter. But I didn't know how. But I, I, I didn't know how. You think that will fly? I didn't know how. You know, my kids use that. As a parent, you really start to figure this stuff out. My young, my little, my little daughter, my precious four-year-old, you know what she'll say? I, I can't do it. I don't know how. Baby, I'm just asking you to take that cup to the counter. I don't know how. Do you think I'm going to buy that? How many times has she taken the cup to the counter? We think that we're so smart, don't we? But God, I just don't know how to make disciples. All I'm asking you to do is take the cup to the counter. It's really not that difficult. You know, you don't have to feel faith. You don't have to figure out how everything works. Do you know when you want to turn on a light switch... Do you, do, you, do you call the electrical company? Do you ask electric? How does that thing work? You don't have to know how the kingdom works. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to, you don't have to feel faith, figure faith out, whatever, you know? Honestly, the more I see life from eternal perspective, the more I realize this. I should just do what he says. Because if you really believe him, you'll just do what he says, right? So if you really believe, if you really believe that you will stand and give an account to the Lord, how will you live? If you really believe you have been given an assignment to make disciples, how will you live? Here's the principle that I notice in Matthew 24. You notice, listen to this in verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master will come on a day, listen, when he is not looking. Listen, the Bible says, out of your heart flow all the issues of life. Do you know that every sin starts with a thought in your heart? Do you hear what he said? When the evil servant says something in his heart. You see that? Every sin is rooted in unbelief. It's something, some lie you believe about God. And I'll tell you this, it's always connected to people disconnecting themselves from this eternal reality. When we disconnect ourselves from this eternal reality, when we forget, He is my owner, He is returning, I will give an account and be rewarded. When we forget that, I don't mean we forget the theology or forget the doctrine. I mean when we disconnect my present life, my internal thoughts, my internal desires 
how I'm treating my spouse, how I'm stewarding my money, my time, my whole life, when I disconnect my life from that reality, that's where complacency comes in. Complacency means a false sense of security, false peace. That's where sin comes in, compromise, and unfaithfulness. When you disconnect yourself from that reality, did you hear what he says? Did you hear what he said? He says in his heart, my master's delaying his coming. He doesn't even necessarily change his doctrine. I, I, I know Jesus is coming back. But you disconnect, when you disconnect the fact that he is coming soon and you will be held at account, do you see what the servant does? Don't, don't get caught up in the statements of beating and drunkenness. Oh, good thing. I don't beat people. I don't drink. No, no, no. Don't be self-righteous like that. Listen to what he's saying. Whose servants are he, is he beating? His masters, right? Whose money is he wasting on, 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 on just drunkenness and gluttony? Who, who's, whose resources are he wasting? His masters. Do you see what I'm saying? He's being unfaithful. Is he doing his assignment? No. When you disconnect yourself from that eternal reality, you begin to treat other people selfishly. You begin to hurt them with your words. Why? Because you don't think you'll give an account. You begin to waste the grace of God. You begin to waste your money and your time on self instead of on the kingdom. You begin to say, oh, I'm too busy. I'm too busy to spend time with God. I'm, I'm too busy to do it. Well, what, are you, what are you doing? I'm really going through a lot right now. I can't really go and get people saved or anything. What are you doing then? With the time and the money that God has given you. It's not yours anyways. He owns you. Yeah? And he will give, you will give an account for how you've stewarded that. See, the word is like the, like the, the ledger book. An accountant always measures what is what should be, right? The word is like the, the ruler that your life will be lined up to. It's the ledger book that your life will be lined up to. Whether or not your life aligns with his word. And you have done what he asked. You can be really busy and not do what he asked you to do and you will be considered unfaithful to the Lord. He's not asking you to be busy. He's asking you to do what he has asked you to do. See, when people disconnect themselves from this, that's where anxiety comes in because you're your own provider because money is what you're living for. That's where fear of other people, you begin to live for the applause of people. You begin to live in fear of what other people will think of you. Dude, on that day, they will be silenced. It won't matter if they liked you or not. I really believe we should do evangelism because we love people. I really think we should love them like Jesus loves them. But do you realize... This is going to sound a little weird. It doesn't matter if you love them. You want to know why? Because you didn't die for them. He simply asked you to do something for him. All I'm saying is it does actually matter if we love people. (laughs) But the primary motivation is not that. It's not whether you want to do it or not. The primary motivation is he asked you to. And he will ask you to give an account for what you did with what he gave you. Do you see what I'm saying? See, when you don't live your life in light of this, your money, you do with what you want with your money, you do what you want with your time. People like this, they think, well, Jesus loves me, he died for me, I can, I can just sin and then he'll forgive me. Wasting the grace of God, the Bible says. Wasting it. It's a false sense of freedom. Oh, grace, I'm free! I'm free. I'm free not to please God now. I'm free to do my own will. Yay, I love this grace stuff. Is that why Jesus died? No, he freed you from bondage, from sin, and from legalism, and from trying to please people and putting your own laws on yourself. He freed you so you could please the Lord. Did you see that in 2 Corinthians 5? Did you see that where it says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account, and it says, and therefore since we know the terror of the Lord. 
Well, Dave, you know, the Greek word probably doesn't mean that, right? It probably means, like, just respect him. No, actually, the Greek word is fear. Freaked out. I know some of you are like, Dave, this is heavy. It's kind of scary when you talk about this. Yeah, it is. I just think that's funny, right? But boy, that's kind of scary. Well, yeah, that's what it just said right there in the text. For we know the terror of the Lord. We actually have to live our life with that reality in mind. I will stand before the Lord and give an account. Now, here's the deal. Fear always has an object. Always has an object. Who you fear is the most important thing. See, if God were an angry, vindictive, capricious, just, dude, hope he's on a good day when he comes, a good mood when he comes back. I mean, if that's the kind of God that we serve, if that's the creator of the universe, we're all shot. But if that were the case, the sun wouldn't rise certain days. God is faithful, isn't he? He is good. He loves. He is faithful and he is just. Amen? All of his judgments are just and right. When you and I know that, See, those of us who are born again, we know that He is good and He loves us. So are we fearing an evil God? Are we fearing an angry God? No, He's not angry. Last time I looked in the Bible, quite joyful. He loves. He died for us because He wants us. What does it mean to fear God? See, if you're fearing an angry, vindictive, capricious God... Yeah, I, I, that, I wouldn't want to be around that, right? But you're fearing a really good dad. A very, very good father who loves you, who gave his son for you. You're fearing his goodness. See, fear and trust are actually two sides of the same coin. Here, here let me just tell you real simple what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is you believe that he will do what he said he will do. It's really that simple. You believe. If he says, I will bless you, you believe it. You believe every promise. You take him at his word. He's good, he's faithful, he can't lie. You also believe if he says, don't touch that or you'll die, you know he's right. And so all those warnings in the Bible, some of this is pretty heavy, right? That unfaithful servant, it says, will be cut into, thrown into the lake of fire, basically. Fired, literally. You take that seriously. You say, mm, I don't want to mess with that. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, you'll notice what Paul said. So we make it our aim to please the Lord. You know, that's really that's how simple it is. If you fear the Lord, you will live to please Him. Simple. You will love Him more than any other thing. And you will live your life, not for your will, but for His will. The Bible says, you will live to please Him. You can see people who fear the Lord because that's what they want. They want to please the Lord. See, those of us who are born again, and we have His Spirit living inside of us, we fear Him, and everything within us wants to please God. Not because He's mad at us, not to earn anything from Him. We love Him because He first loved us. We want to please Him because he's already filled with so much delight in us. And we believe his ways are right, his promises are true, he is good, and he will reward. And we believe that he is just and he is fair. But you can see, when someone disconnects from this eternal reality, they stop believing that God sees them. They stop believing that they will be held at account. They start living for themselves and you can always see it in temptations and in trials, when things really get the hardest, when two things that you love start to compete, you will find out which one you love most. I remember when I was a new Christian, I came to the Lord. I mean, I encountered His grace. I just, whoa, you love me. Gave my life to the Lord. And some of the first things He started showing me from Romans chapter 12, to, walk, to, to give my life as a living sacrifice, Ephesians 4, walk worthy of the calling. I began to see that the only appropriate response to His grace was my whole heart. 
I love that song that we sing. It's an old hymn. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Only my all is worthy of, of him. Only my all. This is why the greatest commandment, simple, right? Love God. With what though? All your heart. So I remember a new Christian, as a new Christian, and the Lord said to me, I want you to sell all your CDs. Some of it had to do with the secular music and the influence that was happening on me, but, but not, it wasn't just that. It was the covetedness and the, and the possessions and all that stuff, and I didn't want to do it. And I'm looking at my CDs. I had a ton of them. I'd spent a ton of money on them. And I'm looking at them, and I know what the Lord's saying to me. I'm a new Christian, and he says to me this, who do you love more? Now, it's not some kind of guilt trip. That's just truth. Dave, what do you want? What do you really want? Who do you love? He was testing my heart. I'd like to say that was the last time. You know, that's still the question. He wants the first, doesn't he? He wants all your heart. He wants the first. And he will... He will test that every time. You go through hard times, you're tempted, you're struggling between two values. Which one, which one do you put first? Which one do you put first? Always, that is the test. And I'm telling you, wherever there's compromise, wherever there's unfaithfulness, meaning you're not doing what God has called you to do, wherever there is sin, wherever there, there is complacency, we've lost heart, we've lost hope, we've disconnected our heart from that eternal reality. Because when you connect your heart to the eternal reality that he owns you, that he is returning and he is going to reward you. When you connect your heart to that reality, you are confident and sure that he will bless you and reward you. And you live your life in light of, you live your life in light of that. When you're confident of his reward, you'll endure temptation. You'll pursue purity. You'll do everything you can to lay down your life, become the person that Jesus has called you to be. You won't hide from correction. You won't choose comfortability over character. You won't choose comfortability over the assignment God has called you to. You will say, Lose it all. If I have to lose it all, I'll do what God's called me to do. Remember one time I was going through a really hard time uh, of just, fa- I mean, of doubt, unbelief, just really struggling. I really just felt really condemned. And the Lord was wanting to deal with pride in my heart. The Lord was wanting to deal with all this stuff in my heart. And I didn't want to deal with it. I mean, all, a lot of us will make jokes. Don't pray for patience, you know, don't pray for humility. We make jokes, but we really mean it. I didn't want to go, I didn't want to deal with it. And I had a choice of whether to you know, go for it. I could have just busied myself with ministry. I could have gone to another church. I could have hidden. I remember the Lord gave me a picture one time. He gave me a picture of a fire, big fire. And he said, those who have a kingdom perspective will go through the fire because they want me. He said, they see that they're becoming like me. They see that they're pleasing me. They'll go through the fire because they see me on the other side. I say, oh, okay. And they'll go through it. They'll embrace the refinement, they'll embrace the character, they'll die to themselves. He said, those who want the blessing without the character, they don't really want me, but they want the benefits, you know, without Jesus, they'll go around the fire. He just gave me that picture for me. He said, which one do you want to do? You guys all know what I said. Okay, going through the fire. I was talking to a young man recently who's in our church and he's just telling me, I don't feel like God's near me. I don't really hear God. He's struggling with condemnation. We were talking about some purity issues in his life, just working with this guy. You know what he said to me? He said, man, and I've talked to this guy a bunch. I mean, it's cool. It's great journey with this guy. He said, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to you know, encounter God or not. He said, I'm not giving up. Oh, I was so rocked by what he said. I was like, that's what I'm talking about. I'm telling you. That's faith. That's integrity. That's nobility of heart. Where he says, I don't know. I really don't know about the result. 
I mean, I'll tell you, you give your all to the Lord. I mean, I told him, you're going to hear God. You're going to get breakthrough. I mean, believe me, you will if you don't give up. You will in this life and in the next. But I said, I'm telling you, it's, it's only the person that says, dude, I will die believing God. I will. I'm going to keep at this thing, right? Even if I don't feel him. Why? Because, dude, it's a blip on the screen. It's a blip on the screen. You're going to reign with Christ forever. A wise person thinks from the end in mind. The end in mind. The Bible says, a wise person sees the end. Moses said this in Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days. That we might have a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number our days. Not, oh, I'm 34, I've got a lot of years to live. But, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But also, it's going to go quick. A couple years ago, the Lord kept telling me, 20 years from now, 20 years from now, 20 years from now. I mean, I was, like, I was obsessed. I couldn't think of anything else. 20 years from now. I'm like, God, what? Leave me alone. No, I'm joking. I didn't say that. But he kept saying, what's 20 years going to look like? What's 20 years? What's 20 years? I'm like, I'll be 33. I mean, I was like, or maybe I'll be 32, 32. I mean, I mean uh, 52, 53. Like, what, what, what? I, I, what do you? So he kept telling me, what's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? You know what he was trying to tell me? What is the assignment I called you to? What is it going to look like? What are you living for? And he, then he kept, and then he, so he started painting that picture. He reminded me what he called me to. He showed me what he was calling me to. What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like 20 years from now? Just 20 years. And then, he kept, and then he would say, are you living for that? Are you living for that? I mean, I'm talking like months. Like he'd mess with me, and then a month later he'd say it again. And I was like, ah, where's this coming from? 20 years from now. 20 years from now. He wouldn't let me off that hook. Even to this day, right now, it's been a couple years. Okay, 20 years from now, 20 years from now. Listen, it's not just 20 years from now. We need to think from the end, eternity. But what do you do when you have a goal? What do you do when the goal is well done, good and faithful servant? What do you do when you know your assignment and you're living for that aim, to please God and to hear those words? What do you do? You work from the end backwards, yeah? You start with the vision, you work backwards to the goal. I mean, backwards, and you start setting a goal to achieve that. I remember I was at a conference, and, and this, this guy, he put a $20 bill down over here on this side of the stage, and he told the girl over here, said to the girl, you can have that $20 bill if you can get it, but you can't walk there. I mean, I'll tell you what, I knew what I would do immediately. But it took her a while. She's like, do I jump? I mean, it's too far to jump. She's, she's trying to figure out. She was like trying to do other things like hop. He's like, no, 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 you can't do that. I mean, he's like, you can't, you can't use your feet. You got it? Come on, get it. Finally, some of the prompting from the crowd, guess what she did? Laid down and rolled. Listen, listen. If you want something, you'll figure it out. Do you know that's what repentance is? Don't do this. I don't know how to do it. Don't do that. There will be no excuses when you stand before the Lord. It's simple. He has given you all of His grace and all of His power to do the simple obedience of the Word. Love God, love people. Go to the least, the lost. Make disciples. I mean, it's just simple. Simple. I don't know how. Just do it. If, if you really want it, I don't know how to be pure. The Bible says... That those who see that he's going to come back, they make their aim purity, 1 John 3. And that's not just sexual purity. All purity, completely. Forgiveness, no covetedness, no lust, none of that. Live only for the will of God. If you want that, you will do it. You want that $20 bill? You'll get on that ground and roll. People laughing at you. Who cares? Who cares? Because one day, their voices won't matter and you will stand before God and he will say, Woo! Well done. Come live in the delight of God. Come receive the inheritance I have for you. Here's all my blessing. Here's all my joy. Here's all my delight. Here's your eternal calling and purpose to live and rule and reign with me. And none of that fear and anxiety and doubt and questions and excuses will matter. All that will matter is to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And if you want that, you'll figure out a way to get there. That's the fear of the Lord. To say, you know what? He's good. He's going to hook me up. 
I'll make this happen. And again, we're not earning. We're not earning. We're not doing it in our own human effort. It's all by His grace. Amen? Sam, come on up. Lead us in response. We need to reconnect ourselves to this reality. Just like in Matthew 24, it said, it said what? Look for His coming. We need to reconnect ourselves and look for 